0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem's show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real-life scenarios with real live people.
1: Okay everybody, welcome to Coach Menachem's share tonight. Tonight is share 127. And we're doing this for a long time, two and a half years. And uh, we have a program tonight, something a little different than, the, than our regular Met Shem, it should be because of everybody. Again, the platform is growing and we have a tremendous following and people are very into it. I always thank every week all the people that posted on the WhatsApp status mm-hmm. it around, let the families know about it. And again, like I say, not every shit might be negated to every single person, but um, you know, if it is, definitely come on. If not, pass it around. You never know who you're helping. And it's like, again, like we say, much says, the its here to talk, to schmooze it out, and to get some clarity. You know what I mean? So that's why we're here. Um, Anyone wants to join, you can WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066 and send me on your phone. Every week, I'll email you the flyers. You can post it around. If you want to, want to go to coach Berenfeld's <laughs> website, kolchmanachemberenfeld.com. Uh, uh, you can sign up for the weekly flyers. Every week, emails them and the recordings when they go up, usually they go up within two hours they go on youtube you can watch them and they're, they're amazing anybody who's watching now the, the replay of this you can go and click on the subscribe button so every single week every single week you, um you get you know get notified when there's a new when there's a new share going up you click on the like button follow us so thank you for joining okay now i want to thank the advertising sponsor the Lakewood Studios, here on Lakewood for joining us here the Lakewood community ellie and ariel from five town us over here, thank you to the Kaplan and Shortham from the Content Network always promoting us on all the digital platforms. Again, for anybody's here for the first time, every Sunday night at 9 30 p.m. on the Zoom ID, we have different abundant different topics, different therapists, and uh, we're covering a lot. And um, looking forward next week, January 15th, it's not confirmed, we have a few different speakers. But if anybody knows Rabbi Kalish, Rabbi Kalish met me a week ago and he said, "Met Shem January 15th, which means there's definitely a percent chance he's going to come. So as of now, it might be Rabbi Kalish. If not, we have somebody else as the backup. But I don't want to confirmed, we will put out all the information again. As usual, it's going to be a program. Come join us, and hope to see you tonight. We have the in honor of having world famous shliach Shonda from Surfside, Bell Harbor, Florida. But as as they say in the he's like one of the you know the old-time shluchim, like from back in the day, like, you know, legacy. Oh, so it's a big supposed to have him. Thank you for agreeing to come on. I really appreciate it. We're going to get into it tonight. It's a very fascinating topic, and we have a lot to talk about. Tonight's shear is shear 127, Rabbi Lipsker. 127 is the Gematria Melech HaKovod. we as Yidin to show how to honor Hashem's name and to yeah, we'll do that. Okay.
2: And... No, no, we're
1: going to, get, we're going to do in a second. Okay, um let's start first with our
0: opening statement, Coach Menachem. Menachem, what are we talking about tonight? What's this what's the what's the topic? Welcome everyone, Welcome everyone to let's get real Bar <coughs> Hashem, we're up to um 127 with a lot of Siata Dishmaya. And um we're still getting a lot of feedback from yeah. last week, from the shiduchim, those who are struggling with shiduchim. And amit Hashem, hopefully we'll be able to do more on to help out those who need it. Tonight is an interesting topic about anti-semitism. And I know there are many people who are wondering why are we talking about it. Not everyone is not such a big concern. There are people out there who not it's not hitting them and they don't see why we have to talk about it. But there are other people, there are those who feel it and uh where, whether it's on the street or at work, and um especially listening to the news, following what's going on, and they not knowing what to do what what what's the right response and uh for those it's a inter- very interesting topic to understand what what's our reaction, what are we supposed to do? And we all know that there's a lot of Yaakov, that they, they don't like us. Question, we'll see why, what is it all about, but we know that they don't. It's just that Bar HaShem till now, living, most of us, living in Gaulis, whether it's in Galus America, or wherever we live, we Bar HaShem, uh, we didn't hear much. And we're able to live with uh, as much as possible. And um, especially those coming from the grandparents, from the Holocaust, and wanting to hopefully not see the same thing over and over. Things were calm. Now the question is, if things are changing, things are more open, and uh, we're starting to feel the fire. Starting to feel a little bit edgy, starting to feel a little bit worried. question is, what is it all about? What are we supposed to do? What's our response? How do we react to it? So we have, actually, on to have with us tonight, Rabbi Lipsker, who is has been there for many years, whether it's with Goyim or, with um, uh, you know, uh, to understand how to react, to help others. So tonight is the time we can ask questions, any question that comes up. Now is the time. Please feel comfortable to ask your questions. Uh, we'll be able to get the physic, to understand what we're looking for, how to react, and uh, it should be... Um, should come out of tonight's
1: share, Mr. Shem. Okay, okay, so Rabbi Lipsky is here again. The title is type of, Why is Anti Semitism Overrated? A tour perspective on how to deal with it. It's obviously a big topic. Rabbi Lipschke is open to all questions. Anybody has anything spiritually, Ruknius, Gashmi, whatever it is, we can ask it. If questions came in, we'll get into it. And I'm just gonna read Rabbi Lipschke's bio, and then uh, the floor is yours. Okay, it's a long one, I'll try to do it quick. Okay, Rav Shalom was ordained as uh, Central Lubavitch Yeshiva in Brooklyn, 1968, pursued advanced studies at the Chabad Lubavitch Graduate School of Theology and Applied Rabbinics at the of Rechem, Rebbe's Graduate School. He was appointed a shliach by the world leader of Chabad Lubavitch Menachem Mendel Schneerson in 1969, assigned to the land of Yeshiva, <laughs> Miami Beach, where he founded Yeshiva Gendoil Rabbinical College and served as a principal of the dean of the elementary, secondary, and high school studies. In 1981, he founded the Shul, where he continues to serve as the head rabbi, and founded the, the, the Alpha, the Aleph Institute, a national Jewish education humanitarian organization dedicated to improving the quality of life for incarcerated and military and their families. Being the official endorser of chaplains for the Department of Defense and the Educational Academy for the Elderly, where he's responsible for developments of the pilot programs which restructure the educational priorities of, the <laughs> citizens, and the of religious studies at the Florida International University. Rabbi Lipsker served on the Miami Beach Commission of Housing in 1981. He's the chief organizer of the premier International Torah Science Conference in 1987. In 2004, he founded the Chaim Yaakov Shlomo College of Jewish Studies, offering bachelor's and master's degrees in Hebrew letters, a rabbinical orientation, attracting students from across the globe. In 2009, the Shu was recognized as one of America's top 25 most vibrant congregations by Newsweek magazine. And by 2013, Rabbi Lipsker was listed is one of the Jewish One Hundred by the Algemeiner, have for joining us, and the floor is yours.
2: Thank you very much. It's a nice, uh, you know. Sometimes you hear the eulogy, so to speak, and you realize that even that which you they write about you in your lifetime is not a hundred percent true. Imagine when you really let go. <clears throat> Just to make a comment about 127, which is rather. Irref- uh really by divine providence because 127 represents two numbers that were told about in the torah one is the age of sarah and that's the first episode in which there's a kiddush hashem where abraham actually sanctifies god's name when he comes to get the uh place to bury his wife which rightfully does belong to him and he could have claimed it by right and yet paid top price for it with the uh most current values of money that was available at that time and also the one of the most horrific conditions of anti-semitism took place during the time when uh, esther became the queen over 127 lands so 127 represents some aspects that deal with this concept of what you refer to as anti-semitism i want to first make a point when i say why is that uh, anti-Semitism is overrated. I don't mean it's overrated in terms of its implicit and complicit influence in society. I mean, it's overrated in terms of how it affects us Jews and how it should affect us Jews. That's the area. It's not overrated in terms of the fact that those haters have to be addressed in a very sharp and very straightforward manner when they pose danger but it is overrated in terms of how we perceive it with reference to our identity and who we are to give a, just a short overview the concept of anti-semitism anti-semitism as the psychologists and social workers talk about is the longest existing irrational hate it's a hate of a people and as a result of the hate, continues to oppression, continues to suppression, continues to extinction, and holocausts, and exploitation, and many other factors banishing from various countries, like the Spanish Inquisition and expulsion, etc. But eventually, essentially, it begins with a human trait. We have to all recognize that we're all human beings And as human beings, we have fundamental traits, which basically are similar to animals in a certain way, except for the fact that we have a brain. Animals also have a brain, but they don't have a mind. They don't have a brain that controls their emotion, even though they do have a brain that's an operating system that allows their emotions to be fulfilled. But we have emotions like animals. And so there are certain fundamentals that animals have. It's called territorial imperative power, ego, ownership, jealousy, etc. It's a natural trait among animals as well. And so we find the first aspect of this kind of a jealousy and a jealousy that manifests itself in the ultimate type of crime, which is fratricide, murdering your own brother is kind of evil. So we already are exposed to hating another human being not because of what he did to me, but because of who he is, because of how he behaves, because how he is accepted by society, by how how his participation is perceived relative to my participation. Has nothing to do with my ownership. Has nothing to do with my life. It has to do with his life. It's an issue of simple human jealousy that one cannot handle another person's success which we we know is a common trait, unfortunately, that continues until today, even among brothers, unfortunately. That hate that was among brothers, at that time, there was no such thing as a Jew, except for a few hours, when Odom Anish was created until the time that he transgressed, his neshama was a Jewish neshama. And then according to the writings of the Arizal, his neshama left his body and went into suspension and came back into our father Abraham but there were no Jews at that time but there was this fundamental human weakness of jealousy that turns to hatred that turns to murder it continues on with other factors of human weakness in the story that we read in the Torah continuously the story of Noah. here's the story of Noah with his sons after the Mabul. And according to one of the interpretations that Rashi tells us is that his sons, they cause him not to be able to, they want to castrate him. They want him not to be able to give birth to another child because they're already three children and they don't want, God forbid, that he should have a fourth child. So they would have to divide the world into four instead of into three. Imagine instead of owning a third of the world, instead of owning a quarter of the world, they would own a third of the world or whatever. Again, selfishness. So we have jealousy and selfishness that already is built into the human substructure. And so there is so who do you hate and who are you jealous of? And from whom do you have the selfishness? So again, the human nature is that as a person is closer to himself, the people closest to himself, he won't be jealous of. So a father is not jealous of his own children, unless of course he's sick, That could also be. A father is not jealous, brothers generally are not jealous of each other families closer a little further out it becomes a little more evolved and suddenly upon the scene we arrive at the birth of the jewish people a unique people that immediately upon their becoming a nation and it's by divine providence that this week we move from family to nation we move from the patriarchs of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, and one form of godly communication with Jews, God spoke to Avram and to Yitzchak and to Yankif and directed their every move, every aspect of their lives, to such a degree that our rabbis tell us, "Maysa Whatever happened to our ancestors is a mark, a mapping mark in the journey of our, of our journey in life. Of the journey of their children everything that happened to the forefathers will happen to hap, will happen to us that happens only until the end of Ayachi. doesn't say everything that happened to my or to Aaron or to Reuben or to Shimon will happen to us just to forefathers and now it stops there is a segment that continues does not continue continues now into nationhood we now talk about the people of Israel in another nation as Our prophet Ezekiel says that the Jew came out of the womb of their presence in Mitzrayim, a nation that was extracted from other nations. And that extraction from other nations made them unique. And right away, as soon as they take on a form of nationhood, a form of a people, not just a family, but a people, what happens, we read right away, the first case of open anti-Semitism. They say, take a look at this nation. They're so smart. They're smarter than we are. They're the guys that build the various extraordinary structures that we have, the pyramids, the sphinxes. The most advanced country in the world was was Egypt at that time, mathematics. Most of geometry was developed at that time, and we still deal with the Egyptian source of geometry. However, this these Jews are brilliant. They're gonna be smarter. They're gonna overtake us one day. Their nation, they're gonna overtake us, which is a very powerful statement. They're gonna overtake us. Why are they gonna overtake us? Because they will multiply and they will become more than us. They're strong, they're resilient. We have to do something to hold them back. These guys, the sky is the limit for them. They'll take us over in a minute. Right away, they first they enslaved them to put them to work, the first level, working in their economic systems. They ran, the entire country was run by the Jewish prime ministers and finance ministers and brilliant people that came after Joseph. That wasn't enough. Then they enslaved them. They made them work the kind of labor Concentration camp labor, labor that had no benefit sometimes, just labor. And they gave men women's work and women men's work, there was a complete overwhelming force of anti-Semitism. And then when that didn't work, the next stage was extinction. The first question of the solution to the Jewish question, we have to kill them, kill the kids, kill the firstborn, kill their leadership. So we find that factor developing as a nation, the Jewish people excel. They're like at the top of the mountain, wherever they come, they get to the top right away. Joseph comes in as a slave, becomes the most powerful man in Egypt. The family of Israel is looked upon as these Jew boys from over town. And after they take their father to Egypt on the way back, the Egyptians themselves recognize the hierarchy of the Jews. They're at the top of the world. Everybody respects them. These guys are special. There's something about the Jew. And it's clear, something about the Jew. And instead of taking that something and utilizing it to their benefit, like the mother of one of the defense ministers of the United States told her son, always be good to the Jews because the countries that were good to the Jews flourished and they were successful. And they when, they when they were not good to the Jews, they failed miserably and they fell apart as history tells us, the lessons of history. But that's what takes place already at the beginning with Pharaoh, the earliest part of the Jew. And then from then on, the Jew is a unique creature that operates in its own system. And when is it expressed the next time? In the Megillah, Esther, the ultimate representation of evil, of banal evil, of Haman-level evil, call it Haman, Hitler-Haman-level evil was Haman. <clears throat> what was his argument? He says, yes, there is a singular people. These guys are a singular nation, wherever they are, they, they stand out. When they're in one country, they stand out. The other country, they cannot assimilate into the environment. Singular nation. They're spread all over the place. They're not just held up in one little spot. They're all over the place. Like the Gemara says that God did a kindness to the Jewish people that he spread them out among the nations. Because otherwise, if they were one place, imagine if all Jews were in one country in 1939. God forbid. Spread them out. That's what Haman says. They have different laws. Now take a look. What are the fundamentals of a human being? What makes a human being who they are? It's their eating, their sleeping, their dressing, their business, culture, their culture, their holidays, relationships, their law, calendar. The Jew is different in every single way. We eat different than everybody. We sleep different than everybody. We dress different than everybody. We are different in every way. We even have a different calendar. Someone asked me today, oh, you were in Israel for for New Year's. Must have been a great celebration. I said, you know, we we almost missed January 1st over there. I really did. You don't know if it's January 1st or January 2nd. Who cares about that date? Imagine a Jewish people that is totally immersed in modernity has their own calendar. Haven says that and therefore what do you need them for? Get them out. Because these guys, you don't know about them. They're so different and yet they're so powerful. They were invited to the king's party. Mordechai was a member of the king's inner cabinet. These guys, Haven said, this is a dangerous people. There are people we have no handle on them. That's the fact and the truth. The Jewish people, we were chosen by God because He chose us. We're we'll going to talk about that maybe later, but that's what happens. He chose us. And therefore, we are unique. And as a result of that uniqueness, we stand alone because wherever we are, we're successful and they can't make excuses for us. You know, the Nazis, when they referenced the Jewish people, how did they get their people to follow the rules of murdering Jews? How could you get a normal human being that has his own children suffocate a child, kill a million babies? How is it possible? We can't, it doesn't fit into a brain matter, but they had to convey that to a nation that did it systemically. And we're happy about it and grinned about it and partied about it. And the reason was because from Nietzsche, their philosopher said that there's, there's in life there's the eagle, who is the master animal, flies above everybody else, fears nothing and no one. And then there's the rat. And it's the objective of the eagle to kill the rat. And he said the Jew is the rat. Because in middle history already, the Black Plague was placed a plague. you know the Black Plague, the biggest plague in history? Where between 75 and 200 million people died in the 14th century, the end of the 14th century. The Jews were blamed for that. Why were the Jews blamed? Because the Jews didn't all die the same way because we had different laws of hygiene. We washed differently. We had to stay clean. There was this whole different attitude because life takes on such a fundamental aspect of living. So throughout history, we're caricatured. Take a look at the paintings of Jews, the long nose, you know, the Shylock, what's written about the Jew. So consistently there's this aspect of the Jew becoming the scapegoat of history. And they can't tell tell him he's an idiot. The Jew can't be an idiot. Can't be a fool if he controls the finances and controls the messages and controls the world. So he's definitely brilliant. So the other option was call him a devil. The devil is also smart. The Jew is the devil. And so you see depictions in the Christian, I don't want to give them that distinction, in their comic books. In the, middle, in the Middle Ages, the Jews depicted as the devil with horns. This is a true story. We first came down to Miami in 1969. It was Florida was not a Jewish environment. It was one of the southern states. <clears throat> a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of anti-Semitism, Such anti-Semitism that until 1986, I could not buy a house in my community where I live now. Because part of the contract and the basis, there were clauses in the contract that says, if you were 25% Jewish, you could not own a house there. That's 1986. So 1969, we're in the middle of the state like Kissimmee. Today, this is Orlando. It's a whole different world. And it was nothing. And my car broke down. I was traveling with another friend. He had his car, had my car. So we decided we had to stay overnight in order to get the car fixed in the morning. So we checked into a motel in the morning, got up to early in the morning, got to Davin. So I took about bunch to I went on the porch of the hotel on the second floor outside to Davin. And I hear a kid screaming. I see the guy with got horns on his head. I happened to have to fill him. So it may have looked like horns, but it's exactly what he said. This I'm talking about a statement to 1970, not something 1790, not 1790 or 1150 or 1349 or 1392, <clears throat> talking about today, America, Florida, less than 40 years ago. That's the process that takes place. And so the Jew becomes the scapegoat of history. And as a result, people who are, continue to be irrational because I said, the first thing I said was an irrational hate, it's jealousy, it's, it's selfishness, It's this banal hatred that emanates from a different source of irrationality. So people are irrational in an environment where people start to think a little bit better. And the Jewish idea of logic comes in and the concept of God becomes present. More and more people are starting to realize that that's a stupidity and that shouldn't be. At the same time, when you live in a crazy society like ours, that it's so progressive and open that you can say anything to anybody at any moment, and you'll be okay. And if anybody shuts you up, does not let you say that is not okay. And so in this kind of society, you have these idiots, these, you might say, haters, that have nothing to do, they have their own issues, they have their own crisis, their own inadequacies, they have their own entitlements, they have their own problems, and they then spill it out because they also need a scapegoat. So they choose the Jews' scapegoat. And we fall prey to that idiocy And we start feeling bad because some idiot is calling us escape. That's calling us bad. It's submitting to the worst. It's becoming a slave to yourself when you submit to these people. These people have no power over us, zero power over us. They are idiots and they're fools and they're irrational haters. And what will come to them will come to them one day. But we, to submit to that is such a weakness we can never allow that to happen. We are God's chosen children. We are put into this world for a special mission. We're not better than anybody else. We have a different mission than everybody else. We're not better. We have potential to reach levels that others cannot reach because they don't have that same mission. They don't have that same effort. And it's according to the effort that the reward comes. So in order to get an effort, it's different when a person runs, three miles where a person runs 30 miles a day. It's a person difference if a person has seven mitzvahs or a person has 613 mitzvahs. It's a different in every aspect of their existence. It's a difference if their life revolves around taking care of me in a proper manner, or my life revolves around doing my part and giving back to the world. So it's a whole different perspective that a Jew has to look at himself and have a different level of respect for his own being. So that's just basically, I would say, a little bit of the origin of this hate that now becomes a little bit more popular because some guy some gay character makes it popular and we help him along by making him important and condemning him who would he care about it a jew came up to me in shul and he was really upset with me so how come you didn't speak about this just yay character you know even he mentions to me some woman uh, 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 after, even she spoke about, yeah, how come you didn't speak, Rabbi show Says, you know, my rabbi last week okay, dedicated a sermon to it. I said, I'm gonna desecrate my Saturday with this idiot's comments? I'm going to lower myself and my day of rest of godliness to talk about some stupid idiot that has something negative to say about me and the Jewish people? Why am I, why would I do that? Why would I submit to that kind of idiocy and set that kind of a negative force when I have so much to be proud of so much to live on this Shabbos he didn't get it actually
1: okay So, let's get into the questions okay this question came in we'll have, we have a bunch of questions that came in and we'll do the poll now okay Rabbi am I'm, I'm with you okay let's start with the poll everybody can answer however they feel it's anonymous and then we will get into some of the questions let's okay here goes the poll Two questions, Paul. Where do you feel anti-Semitism is holding today versus 10 years ago? Four options. Okay? Better today than it was before. Number two, more today. Like, it means it's not terrible, but there's a little bit more today. Three, the same as it always has been. Or number four, way worse than ever before. It's out of hand. Those are the four choices. Answer how you feel. Second follow-up question is, what happens when you're confronted with your Judaism in an uncomfortable position? That means You're in a place or something, not not in a dangerous place. We're not talking about that. We're talking about in a place where it's uncomfortable, whatever it is, you know, a gas station, a baseball game, whatever it is, or a meeting. What happens to you when you're confronted with your Judaism in an uncomfortable position? Number one, you hide it, you wear baseball cap, you try to right hide who you are. Number two, you avoid it, you just don't go to those places. So you don't put yourself in such a place. Number three, you be prideful that you're a Jew and you go, you know, this is who I am, and that's and you're proud of it. Answer honestly. Okay, judging. Okay, let everybody answer every here, scare and then uh we'll get into some of the questions. Okay, let's see, let's see what the elements answers are. We're gonna share the results. Only only we could see what the results, what the percentages are, but we'll share it with everybody and then we'll uh get into it. Okay, five seconds. Okay, let's share it. Here we go. Okay, first question, where do you where do you feel anti-Semitism is holding today versus 10 years ago? So 2% feel that it's better today. So that's not, most people don't feel it's any better. The most people feel 47% that it's more today than it was. 31% of people feel the same it's always been and 20% feel it's worse now than it's ever been before out of hand. So that's that's what the item says. I just wanna hear your opinion. What was your vote?
2: I vote was the same it has always been.
1: Okay, you're the 31%. Yep. Let's do the file question. If you want to talk about it, or we can go into the question, whatever you want. What happens when you're confronted in, 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 with your Judaism in an uncomfortable position? So 60% of people say that they hide it, they wear a baseball cap. 24% of people say they avoid it. And 60% of people say they're prideful that they're Jewish. What do you think, Rebilsker?
2: Well, my, the, the word that threw me off a little bit is that if, what happens when you're confronted with your Judaism in an uncomfortable position and one of, the, one of the questions was avoid it, which means that I could have avoided, not gone into that perspective, got into that environment. So I would have done that. I would not go there initially, because what do I need to go into a lion's den? But the question was, if I happened to have been there already and I had no choice, how would I deal with it? Because avoiding it is already a question after the fact, is not, it can't, it's not a choice. So I chose avoiding it because, that's What I would have done, but if I would be forced into it, I would definitely never
1: hide it. Okay, um, let's uh let's go to one question and we have a few live looks to some of the questions that came in. Okay,
2: okay, whatever, whatever, oh, no, which to okay,
1: let's go to the live. Okay, you're on.
3: Hello, what? oh, me. Yeah, you're on. Sorry, sorry. No, um, I just wondered, Rabbi Lipschur, um, do you differentiate among the different kinds of anti-Semitism? Because I do see an increase in a certain type, where the people that are really resentful of Torah values, it's not just it's not the Christ killer type of thing. I think that's going out of style, but I think it's more the you know, they resent us, either we're elitist, you know, the whole Zionist issue, or like I said, rant, you know. Uh, we they, they feel that we uh, we uh, avoid certain marginalized groups. I'll just put it politely, um, you know, so there again, I'll,
2: I'll, make, I'll make it very short for you. Yeah, there's no, there, there, there are no, to me, there's no metrics for hate. Hate is hate, period, end of story. You don't know, you know, in, in Germany, it didn't start with murdering babies. It started with a philosophy, mm-hmm. It started with uh, uh, economic and political structures. It didn't go to the. It started with critical, social, and then it went to murder. So I would say that is an anti-Semite on any level is an anti-Semite on every level, period. There's no no separation. As anti-Semitism has no place, as hatred has no place. But anti-Semitism more than that because it's really irrational. Because the Jew is just the opposite than what you should hate someone for. Because our our participation and contribution to civilization
4: yeah. is
2: uh, exponentially so greater than any other nation by uh, percentages that are outside of the realm of of just uh, statistics.
3: Well, like the, the the secularists, these people that are trying, or even what's going on now, the Ashivas—they're trying to push secular studies. That's you a know, different I, thing. That's
2: not that, That's not anti-Semitism. That's a different subject. Not anti-Semitism. That's just uh, people that uh, that have that, that don't understand the benefits, qualities of education. They don't understand the Jewish educational system. That's yeah. a whole different question. It's a, and it's a discussion of a different type. Has okay. nothing to do with anti-Semitism. You're talking like
3: self-hate.
2: Yeah, it's not hate. They don't want more secular because of self-hate, because they they want more secular because unfortunately they have fallen into the trap of thinking of what the objective of life is. And that fits better to them. They think they're going to get a better job if they go to a secular place and they have a better secular education and a little bit more Gemara is not going to do anything for them, that's all. It's just a practical application of warped perspectives because they have not been given the real meaning of what Jewishness is, what Jewish education is, and what Jewish content of of information is. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. It's a whole different, that's a whole subject that has nothing to do with anti-Semitism.
3: Oh, can I say is there there's anti Semitism, anti-Judaic. I mean, I, I don't know, is it that they resent even following the Torah? I mean, I, I don't know if that's
2: listen, a person that doesn't follow the Torah doesn't mean he's an anti-Semite because
0: that would disqualify about seventy-five percent of the Jewish community. Oh, okay. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. It will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.
1: Okay, let's go, let's, go, let's jump on to the next question, okay?
0: Go ahead.
1: Okay. Um, first question. I work in corporate America, and in the past few years it's become so uncomfortable being a religious kid. When I take off many of the Jewish type when they fall during the week, or I leave early on Friday, they complain about it, they talk about it, sometimes I get dirty looks. What can I do to be comfortable in my own environment?
2: Well, first thing, first thing you have to be able to do, and I, I, I don't want to just go off on a tangent on this, but I have to mention one thing that's very important. I known situations where people work, Jewish people work for corporations for other people, there are Jewish uh, people in ownership, non-Jewish people in ownership, and the people that work for them, the time when they work for them, they're there 101%. They will never have a private conversation during time of work. They won't uh, have to stand outside for 15 minutes and just uh, have a conversation about the news of the day. They are paid for their work and they're going to work 100% of the time. And those guys, they rarely have a negative aspect given to them. Everybody appreciates them. So sometimes you have to be careful that as a Jew, because you do have a different lifestyle, because you do stand out already just because of your personality, because of your behavior, et cetera, that you have to behave in a higher level. And anything that you do, and you'll you'll see that practically. If a friend of yours does something, if a person does something who is not Jewish, negative thing, they won't say this Presbyterian did it, or this Catholic did it, or this Christian did it. But if a Jew does something, the Jew. It's not uh, Jack did it, or Bill did it, the Jew did it. And the Jew you down. So we have to know that because of our, natural instinctive part of being part, part of an organism which we are that's why you can love your fellow man as yourself because we are a singular organism all of the Jewish people that we do have responsibility for each other and as a result number one is if you are in a working environment make sure that you're giving 101 percent, because whatever you do doesn't only represent you as an individual it presents you as a nation as friends you as God's representative That's number number one. Number two, as per your question, when you fight fight getting those kind of dirty looks and so forth, uh, you have to address it. You have to talk to these people and tell them how meaningful this way of life is to you. And that the reason that you're leaving is not to take off extra and explain to them what you do. Because many of these guys think when you take off, when they take off for a holiday, and it happens to be that a lot of Jewish people that take off for their holidays spend their days golfing than going to the beach they don't go to shul or do the religious things and for that reason why should you take a day off just because you're entitled to it because the government gives you the opportunity to do so so we have to be very careful but when that does happen you have to confront it and if it becomes un- too uncomfortable get out of there because you're not going to change people just by if you can't change them by a, a rational conversation don't, don't stay in an environment that you have to
0: live in that kind of a uh, space. Okay, here's uh, another question that came in. So my parents went through the worst times in the Holocaust. There's there's such an extraordinary reaction over anti-Semitism, and our youth are rethinking their relationship with the Jewishness. We're put up. We are we are who we are, and period. It seems to me like the kids of today are not so comfortable being Jewish. What can we do to fix that mindset?
2: Uh, You just asked me uh, one of my favorite questions. Uh, And the reason is, you know, this week, you don't mind if I have a few minutes, I want to just expound on a little bit of a concept that we learned in this Torah portion that's very critical, that gives us an insight and a really good response to that question. It's a story that we read about in Vayechi the dialogue between Joseph, Yasef, and, and Yaakov, and his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim. It's very interesting. You know, when you read it, you just read it. And you keep reading it every year, and it's just like that. But when you think about it, you know, Taurus, the Taurus, Torah, the, Torah, the holy place tells us, what did Yaakov do? He crossed his hands? And he couldn't have just said, hey, okay, hey, let, let me put this guy on this side, and let's put this guy on the other side. I mean, you couldn't both put him to the right side. What do you have to cross? And the Torah tells us he crossed his hands and the dialogue between Joseph, Joseph, you can imagine had the most, the utmost respect for his father. So the first thing that Yaakov says to Joseph, when he walks in and he sees, he brings his sons, he says, who are these guys? Mihaim, who are they? What do you mean, who are they? Didn't he know who they are? And Rashi tells us, he showed him the ketubah, that he was, that they're legitimate kids and they come from, they're Jewish kids, et cetera, et cetera. But if used to hang out with 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 uh, Yaakov the whole time. He was the one that came running home to tell his father that his that his grandfather was ill, on a deathbed. So what? Are you, what is you? What kind of questions? Who are they? The next question is, when Yaakov does what he does, what does Joseph know, father? Whoa! Now in halacha, you know, you can't even tell your father, yes, father. You know that not even supposed to agree with your father. And here Yaisam a says, uh, father, no, you got, you got a mistake here. You're making a mistake. What does he think? His father was playing games by crossing his hands. He says, and what does Yaakov say to him? Yes, my son, I know what you're saying, but this is what it, what it is. What was the whole issue here? The issue here was very fundamental. Right now, we were going into another stage of life. We're going to the next generation. Not a generation that suffered. Shimon at the Friday they grew up with a golden spoon in their mouth. They grew up in the lap of luxury. They grew up in the best place in the world. They grew up in Bell Harbor, and Palm Beach, in Hollywood. They grew up in the best in 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 Spring Valley, in Lakewood. They grew up in everything. There's nothing they didn't have. They had 14 pairs of sneakers, They had whatever they want, daddy got it, anything, the best of everything they had, a new generation. They didn't suffer, nobody afflicted them, nobody bothered them, they grew up in wealth. So when they came to Yaakov, Yaakov said, how are we gonna make sure that the next generation stays around? How are we gonna make sure that continuity continues? How are we gonna make sure that the same passion for Jewishness that we all had as we went through the lives as Jews, as we went through our suffering, how are we gonna make sure that it happens? So Joseph says, I got it. It happened to me. I came into this country. I was a slave, in prison. I was nothing and I rose to the top, top, top that no, I couldn't go any higher. And in that level, there was a moment that I almost failed. The story with Potiphar's wife was not a simple story. As it says in this week's Pasha, you know, his fingers like it was like a really powerful force. What saved him was his father's image. It says his father's image came to mind and said, what am I doing? I'm blowing my whole life here. But he said the challenge was there. I'd reached the top. I was involved. I was loved. Everything was powerful. So I decided the first child was born Menashe. I cannot forget. I'm calling you Forgot because I want to make sure that the past is part of my existence. I want to make sure that I remember how my brother wanted to kill me, how my father-in-law wanted to kill me, how my son was kidnapped, how my wife died in early early childhood. I want to remember every moment of my 130 years of pain of becoming a Yid. I remembered my father told me about the Akeda. I know the whole story and I'm living the story. And Joseph says, I put that in my mind right away I named my son for that to know you can't walk away from your past, the past is critical. And then the second son, he said, he named Ephraim because God made me fruitful, made me productive, made me successful in the land of my exile, in the land of my affliction. I became successful and I became powerful. So he said to, to Yaakov, that's the fundamental. That's why Menashe should be on the right side, because that comes first. You have to remember the past. Without remembering the past, the present is not going to work. And Yaakov Krasov, said, he said, you're right. You got to remember the past. But to this new generation, that's not going to be the thing that's going to keep them together. You're going to talk to them how to be a Jew when you're successful, how to be a Jew when you have everything that you need, how to be a Jew in a world that there's nothing that is close to you. How can you be a Jew as a Eprian? That's the power that I'm going to give you. That's the strength that you need in Gaulus. The fact of the matter is that our children, they can't feel the past the way that we did. They didn't live the past. They had nothing to do with it. It's a story to them. Like the story to us about the, the Bias that we read in the Gemara in, in Gittin, once a year when we have Tisha B'Av, when we read that whole story, and it's a really interesting story, and kids, they're like, they want to hear more of the story, they, every part of the story, but it's just a story. It's not a life experience. In order to make Jewishness alive, it has to be a life experience. It has to be rel- relevant. It has to make sense to you and your life, in your daily life, your daily existence. If it's only something of the past, it's not going to work and you can see it, but it's not working. As much as the monies they poured into Holocaust memorials, as much money as they poured into Holocaust studies, what is the result? Take a look at the colleges and you'll see what's going on. It doesn't work. That's why in Jewish life, there was no such thing as making monuments for these kind of matters. Dalim never talked about building these big memorials, of course. It's important for history, important to note, important to understand whatever we can, especially times that they can record things, etc. And it should serve as an inspiration to our lives to see how, what our forefathers did, that in the gas chambers, when they knew the only reason they're getting killed, you know, that's the part of the story that they need to know. The only reason they're getting killed, I heard this from themselves. They were in the gas chambers, and they, what What did the Santa Commandos hear? published the Sonderkommandos commandos heard when those Jews were in the gas chambers packed like sardines with babies on top of them because there was room and the Germans were so efficient they don't want to lose any a cyclone they heard Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem achod. and the Nazis they send them crazy really crazy people they know they're dying because they're Jews and they're saying Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem achod. that inspiration that connection is such a deep sense, deep connection that transcends our intellect, but it's real because you see it practically. So you ask why our children are not relating to it because they don't relate to Jewishness as a current power in their lives. To Jewishness to them is not something that they feel on a daily basis. They wake up in the morning and they don't feel Jewish. They feel like a person. The first thing they say out of their mouth is not Moedani, thank you God for giving me back my life with a passion, with a meaningfulness. And if they don't say like we say the rest of their prayers, it's time that we have to internalize it. We have to realize we're living in a generation that we're in a metaverse in a certain way. We're living in a generation where kids are feeling. Social, the reason social the social community is so powerful is because they make kids talk about what's real to them. And they put it right in their face and they say, feel it. And with Jewishness, we don't do that. It's like just a culture it's not something that's real because if it becomes real it's much more powerful and much more lasting and much more strength and much more resilience than any social media factor if you get it right
0: how do we do that <laughs> what that's do we good. do that's a good well how do you do it we're fighting we're fighting heavy uh i'm gonna,
5: I'm, I'm gonna answer you i'm
2: gonna answer you God says it's very accessible to you in your mouth and your heart and your behavior your actions the latest studies in epigenetics and neurology you know we cannot control our genetics we cannot change our genetics but we can control our genetics so the latest studies in epigenetics tells us the single most, and it's a control study they did, you can check it out, you can Google it. The best, the most fundamental aspect that is important in human development, in every aspect of development, emotional development, psychological development, all development, is not what you think, it's not what you feel, it's what you do, action, behavior. Behavior is the most fundamental aspect of the human condition. And as the Ramam says, It's not which means if you do something continuously, your mind starts to move in that direction. So number one, it's what you do. Now, number two is the sincerity of how you do something. So for example, for example, a child goes to shul to daven with his parents or to daven an environment with adults, and during the prayer, I'd say a small percentage or a larger percentage of the adults in that, in that room, instead of davening, they talk to each other. Really talk to each other. And people, you don't realize how kids understand things. And to give you an example of that in a moment, or pull out their cell phones or listen to a conversation. One young man who was a Bolchuva in our community, he came over to me one day and he wanted to know at what stage can he graduate enough so that he doesn't have to really pray every word like everybody, but he can talk during the prayer like the guys that already are more advanced than him. We want to know that. Kids know sincerity. They know when you mean it and they know when you do it because you're doing it. Now, of course, doing it because you have to do it's a red line. Kabbalah sale, doing it with, because you have to, is fundamental. But fundamentally, it will not last unless you internalize it. Unless there has a feeling, a passion, a desire, a want that you enjoy it. If you feel if you if you are anxious, if you get mad at the Bal because he finishes Meyer five minutes too late or two minutes too late or starts uh, two minutes after the Cheskia sh- 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 uh, or after say it's like a instead of five minutes or whatever the case might be, you know your kids are not going to take it serious. they're going to want to get out of there. Why do I, what do I need a burden like that? What do I need to do something I, that I don't really want that I don't really like I have to do it. And at some point they can rationalize, I don't really have to do it. Why do I have to do it? Hashem. So that's another factor. We also have not placed God in the center point of our children's lives. We've placed punishment, reward, but God himself, essence of Hashem, that you are a piece of God, that the, the creator of the universe cares about every single act that you do. He feels good every time you do a good thing. He feels bad every time you do a bad thing not he's going to send you to gehenna every time you do a bad thing he's going to send you to ganadan but he god feels good or bad god is not gehenna and Ganadin. we are we make mistakes by telling our children that there is such a thing as gehenna there is such a thing as ganadan but that's not what god is god is a loving father who cares about each and every one of us and looks at each and every one of us with his utmost love and acceptance and
0: faith. Wow, very powerful. So here's here's a, another uh, interesting question that came in. I live out of town, in an out of town city, and it's not safe being in an openly uh, living openly religious. Do you believe that we should all move to Israel, so we should live there without the hate, and live with Jewish safety?
2: So first of all. It let's be practical. You know, you probably have intelligent people on this chat. So, you know, moving to Israel doesn't get away from hate. It's just that the hate turns from, you know, Jews hate each other, kind of maybe as bad as the Gaim hate sometimes, and worse. Take a look at uh, some of the uh, Israeli media. You know, read, the, the, don't read it. But they did they, they publish. The last time they sent me a copy of the Haaretz. It was page after page of the worst, worst commentary. You know, they 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 compared the present government to Nazism. I mean, it's crazy stuff. You know, that's happening in Israel. So uh, Israel is not uh, a more loving country than other places that you might say, besides the fact that there's whole segments of population that really hate us and want to throw us into the sea. But even the Jewish people are not that way. The fact of the matter is that you can't escape that. Wherever you are, you have to create an environment of respectfulness. I, I'll tell you here in our own community, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, bring, bring, bring uh, some aspect of a hierarchy to our community. But the fact of the matter is, this community started out as a very anti-Semitic space. I told you I, could not, I did not see my own house before I moved into it. The person that sold me at my house was thrown out of the community because he was a blockbuster. <coughs> 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 in 1986, when we purchased our home, it was a front page story in the Miami Herald that rabbi moves into Bell Harbor. I had many incidents that were really not fun. They didn't like us, they really didn't like us didn't like me particularly because I was kind of really representative of the Jew. I mean, I wore the beard, I wore, I wore a yarmulke, I was I wore a long black coat on Shabbos. I mean, I represented, I mean, I think that some of the Jews here had a, a tougher time with me than the non-Jews, but that's another question, another issue. But nonetheless, that was the kind of environment that was here. Presently, our entire community is such an integrated community the only problem sometimes in our community is among the Jews themselves that, you know, one group and not like another group a little bit so much, but otherwise it's a totally integrated community. And th- those that were representing, you might say the worst form of this Jew hatred or anti-Semitism turned out to really be respectful of us. And on the contrary, became very much enamored with our way of life and so forth. To such a degree that the government of all the communities in this in this zip code in this area code three three one five four, the government is almost ninety percent Jewish, and not because we're trying to push anybody out, because they re- realize the quality of the Jewish person, their way of life, the morality, the ethics, the decency, the community involvement, the the area, so that when a Jew fulfills this role like our according to Ishaya's, you have to be a light unto the nations. When We fulfill all to be a light unto the nations. Then the nations feel like they're enlightened. And instead of the crazy woke system that they are into, that really is the most distressing asleep system that you can imagine. Instead of woke, they're totally asleep. They're such a cloud of no clarity. They would be so happy to see a way of life that means something positive, means something real, means something good. And not because of entitlement. When a Jew walks into a supermarket, he always has to be mindful of the fact that if it's an elderly lady, give her the area to walk in front of him. If there's a chair, a young boy sits and there's an elderly person standing, get up and let the person sit down. Behave Jewishly in the common field of decency and manners. You can't imagine what kind of impact that is and you can't imagine the negative impact of the other way around. When a Jewish person who looks Jewish double parks, in a street where the people are not used to it. They look at this guy and say, who does he think he is? Why is he entitled? And then when the Jew, unfortunately, when the policeman comes over to him and tells him, please move your car, he says, what do you want, Nazi? That already exacerbates it. And that policeman will go back to the station and say, these guys are really bad guys. So we have to be careful because we are chosen. We have to always wear silk, our clothes is always silk. We can't have a stain on it. You know, if we were just workers, regular guys out there, we could handle some stains, but because we are so refined, because we are princes, we are children of Hashem, where Hashem's chosen, we have to behave in a manner that really is impeccable as much as as possible. And otherwise we bear responsibility
1: for that. Okay, let's go to the live question, okay? I'm listening. One second, one second. Okay, you're on,
4: so I hello, yeah you're on yes. okay so i I work in a neighborhood in an area in one of the states where a Jew is never seen over there. I mean the beard myties the Amish people there's a lot of Amish people over there, uh, besides the mustache, but uh. I was told when I came to work over there that, you know, when you walk on the street I should wear a cap and I people shouldn't really see that I'm Jewish. And uh, when once I walked on the street with my armaka, people were like, What is it? Like they I, I got the impression of like, what is a Jew doing in this neighborhood? You don't belong here. Should I try to hide it? Should I not hide it? This is who I am and this is who we are. Yeah, I'm I'm
2: here. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. Good night. Thanks. I'm sorry, that was just our security. Did Should I repeat did you, my question? Uh, no, I heard your question. Is that, was that the end of the question? <clears throat> There's no question that if you're working in a space where you constantly are feeling that you're being acted upon negatively, you don't have to push your, you don't have to wear a strimal on that, on that street. You know, that's not necessary. Necessary. You can wear a cap but definitely do not compromise an, an inch of your behavior. And the way that you behave, wherever you are, if you're working in, whether it's a nursing home, whether it's a, a commercial environment, wherever you're working, you have to give it, as I said earlier, 101%. You have to be exceptional. You can't be just moderate. You know, the, the moderate moderation is not an option it has to be exceptional
4: it was at kidding that the factory that i was working in the people who work in the factory with me are not or don't didn't know that i was a jew and i was asking ishaila if i should put mezuzah on the door because the, the owner of the factory is a jew is a from park and this is a, a factory of not it's not a common thing that you find amongst uh, amongst Heimische people that they're working, that they have business in that kind of industry but uh, it's a military uh, affiliated and associated, but and I wanted to put Mrs. on the door, and he' was like, no, no, no you can't, you can't do that because you can't have anybody in the fact we know that we're Jews. And uh, it was like the whole Judaism was like, I felt like I was, I don't know, back in the Inquisition times where I'm, I'm hiding it and I'm living in the shadow.
2: Whoever's advising you is making a big mistake. I work with the military. a big mistake. And I have to tell you a story about this business that's very interesting. I have a friend who had a major, major jewelry business, major, a big public company at a factory that had uh, 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 thousands of employees. And he had a big pilferage problem, you know, they would, uh, they, it was diamonds and, you know, it's impossible. So they had a problem that uh, some of the goods were being filtered as the manufacturing happened. They were manufacturing jewelry, et cetera, et cetera. So, and how they do it, he said, there's so many ways to do it. Some of them, if we used to put it in the garbage and then they threw it in the garbage can and then they would take it out of the garbage can in the middle of the night, all kinds of ways that these guys, these very clever guys went to, went to do it and nothing helped. I went to the room had about a hundred rooms, hundred spaces. I said, why don't you put this on the doors to your house? He says, what, is that, why, what would that help? I said, that'll help anyways. One day we brought we brought a hundred mezuzas. We put a hundred mezuzas on the doors. The non-Jewish population, they were told that this is like a system that catches any any jewelry that comes through the door that's not theirs. It'll catch it. He says that the pilferage went down by about eighty percent just by having mezuzas on the door because the guy didn't know what it was. You put him as who you have to tell the guy what it is. In my doors we have this is special. They tell them this is a special protection. This is a special protection we have. It has yeah. protective powers. Just like you have a, a fire alarm, or you have a burglar alarm, you have a, this kind of alarm. They don't have to know all these details. And it says that what, what, what is it? That's the, the The practical. We have to be straightforward on. We can't be ashamed of who we are. We can't be ashamed of what we do. You think you think behaving Jewishly is a Think it's a bad thing unless you're unless you're uncomfortable yourself with what you're doing. If you yourself are uncomfortable, then get out of the space. But if you want to be who you really are, if you're a man and a proud Jew, and you have the amount of strength that is necessary to live through gullus like we all have, the day gives us that power. Then there's no question that you have to live like a Jew completely, without question, without compromise, and they'll respect you more. I did the same thing here. And they respect me more.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: I have one more one more question. I, I live in Borough Park, Lamaise. And I'm part of an organization called Shmira. It's like Shamram Shmira is the public safety. We try to help out and protect the community. Yeah. Okay. And we and we bump in a lot of times to where people say that, no, nah, we shouldn't do, we shouldn't chase down people who are doing certain things. It's going to create more hate and it's going to create more more uh, anger towards the Jewish community. but Lemaisa, we're out there every single day and every night, 24-7, and we're trying to keep an eye out and do our eshtalos of protecting our community. Um, is that something we should kind of be more considerate and, or saying, listen, we're living in a time where crime is high and we're Jews and we're being targeted to a certain extent. More than others, and we got to do what we got to do to protect ourselves. No matter what other people are going to think, and even if anti-Semitism is going to start rising and people are going to hate us, I don't care. You you start up with the Jewish person, you assault somebody. This is what we do, and this is this is what we're going to do.
2: So, as you know yourself, probably as you deal with the experts in the field, that uh, to uh, be a an, an organization that deals with simply security making sure that nothing bad happens and people are not assaulted and people not hurt, that's one thing. To become bullies is something else. So to chase down a guy because he said something bad, he screamed something that, that that's not worth it. If a guy is poses a danger to society, to a community, you got to do whatever you have to do in order to stop him simple said we have to protect ourselves, no question, but we can't be bullies.
1: Okay, Rabbi Lipska, let's get to this question, okay? Yes. This is a more of a question. Isn't there a lot of ace Why do they hate us? Why did Hashem make it that way? And what does Hashem want from us with that? Now we're asking Rabbi Lipska.
2: You have to understand what our role is. What's our role? You have to ask yourself a more fundamental question. Why, if God loves us, <clears throat> why did he put us in ghosts? Period? Why does it put us in Ganaitan? What do you have to put us in this crazy world that we have to deal with all of these challenges? Imagine the Nishama Tahida, this beautiful Nishama, this naive little nishamala that is kiseh that you take it from under the throne of God's honor, this beautiful nishama. Neshama never saw a negative thing in their life. A neshama that's higher than a malach. You know, a soul is higher than angels because a soul is called ma'alchim b'in ha'imdim, it says. It's a moving aspect, a soul can move. A soul can grow, an angel cannot grow. So this beautiful neshama, the Eveshda comes along and throws it down into this physical world. And this neshama, before it comes into this world, it says, <clears throat> the Neshama who has to descend and to enter into the flesh pot of humanity, the is vei vei. And he screams, Whoa, whoa, why are you sending me into this place? Why are you putting me into this body? Do you know what the body is called in the Zahar? The name of the body is Mishcha the skin of the snake. You ask Hashem, why do you take this pure little neshama and you throw it down into a physical body, into the skin of the snake, where you start out life just physical. As you know, the nature of a person from the time they're born, even during the time in the in utero, they are totally selfish and totally entitled parasites everything is for me as you know in utero the baby the fetus takes from the mother whatever it needs prior to the mother getting it so there are moments when god forbid the mother goes through malnutrition the baby doesn't go through that same malnutrition because it sucks out everything the baby is born it's entitled me 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 play with me hold me diaper me talk to me give me buy me be me me tell me in fact until about two years old the baby doesn't even know that you exist as another person the only reason that a parent exists to a child to a infant is for the infant's benefit the, ba- the infant never thinks to themselves i don't want to wake up my daddy five times or 20 times a night or my mommy never thinks that way because the only thing about me i want i need so The nature of the human is entitlement, selfishness, me, me, me. That's why the Torah is so critical, because right from the beginning, there is a disciplinary process that is embedded in this naive child that starts with a position that is yet irrational, because the child is irrational. So the earliest time when you start saying modani with a child, from the time he starts to speak, or from the time he starts to speak, as the Torah teaches us what the obligation of a parent is, you start saying Shema Yisrael to the child from the time they're an infant laying in their crib and you continue that right through they'll never forget it. I know adults that have walked away from their Judaism they walked away from everything and they still every night they'll sing Shema Yisrael the way their grandmother sang with them and they'll sing another Rozek is a mandolin they'll sing a whole series of songs that their grandmother when they were infants until they were two years old they sang it with them because it was embedded inside of that factor. So Hashem puts us into this physical world, into this difficult, challenging world, particularly today, this kind of a world, so which is a question, a world that you don't know the difference between a man and a woman and a boy and a girl and a father, it's crazy world. An upside down world becomes a normal world. On a simple level, you know, the other day, a friend of mine came and he was wearing a pair of torn jeans. So I'm looking at this guy. This guy is a billionaire. I said, what are you wearing torn jeans? He says, you know, these jeans cost more than your suit. So I'm thinking to myself, what, imagine. When I was growing up, if a kid came with torn jeans, the guy was a schlepper. He didn't have enough money to buy a pair of pants. Today, the pair, the torn jeans cost more than a suit. So they take this little shumala, this pure shamala, you throw it into this world that's so topsy-turvy, that is so... Crazy, it makes no sense whatsoever. And he said, it's the you got to go down there and you got to live down there and you got to make it happen. You got to go through all the challenges and you have to get up and go against the way the world operates. Like Avram, the whole world goes one way, you have to go the other way. So the interest just sent us in this world for a reason. Why? The reason is because Hashem, Hashem, Why did he create the world? Why did Hashem create the world? He didn't become more perfect after creation than before creation. God is the same before and after. I was here before and after. It's not that God needs anything. Anything, perfection needs nothing. Hashem needs nothing. So why did Hashem create the world? So it says, in the, it says in the holy books, you see Hashem had a desire. He had a want. He doesn't have a need, but he has a want. Want? A want, you can't ask why. He has a want, a desire. Has a desire to have a dwelling place down these lower elements. What does he mean a dwelling place in these lower elements? And these lower elements where a person can reject Hashem Because each person has a free choice and say, No, I don't accept you, Hashem. As we know, unfortunately, happens. And that person accepts Hashem. That person, by accepting Hashem, is going against the nature of the human. And at that moment, he is fulfilling Hashem's desire. Our objective here is to fulfill Hashem's desire to make this world a dwelling place for him. What does it mean, a dwelling place for him? A dwelling place means a place where he's comfortable, where he's revealed, not where he's concealed. God is everywhere. And God is everything, but he's in a concealed state. He's so concealed that you can reject him. That's how concealed he is. Because you can imagine you can imagine that Hashem he has to give life even to the one that rejects him. Because if he would not give life to the one who rejects him, that person would not be here. Our whole existence is only that he renews the world every single second, which is every second he gives life force to everything in the universe, including that which goes against him in order to be able to have a position of wanting to be for him that ability that free choice you know in reality a person has only one free choice you don't have a free choice to be a man or a woman you don't have a free choice today in the crazy world maybe they think you do they don't but you don't have a choice to be rich or poor you don't have to be a choice to be tall or short you don't have to be choice choice where you're born but there's one choice you have to do right or wrong <clears throat> that's the only choice we have And what is the balance of what's right and wrong? How do you know what's right and wrong? So we don't know because our minds are too limited and our minds can sometimes go off track and we can look at the wrong thing as the right thing, like a Nazi mind, God forbid. What's right and wrong is that which God determines is right and wrong, He did as a favor because we're so subjective, because we're so, you might say overwhelmed by our physicality, that the only way that we have clarity is by following an objective reality, which is the Titan. <clears throat> and so when you ask, why did God create this kind of hate? He didn't create the hate. He created the human which has capacity for love and hate. And he created a system. And the Jew, when he fulfills his role properly, when we fulfill our role properly, like the Ramam says, what's the end of times? When the Jew will bring goodness to the world, when there will be no more hate and no more wars and no more anguish and so forth. Yes, there will be a segment that will have to be eradicated. A Molek. A will have to be destroyed. We will have to destroy the absolute anti-Semites at that time. They will be destroyed. And that's why it's interesting that maybe today the real anti-Semites are becoming more, <coughs> more vocal. Otherwise you wouldn't know who the anti-Semit is. You'd think the nice guy that lives next door, who's a real anti-Semite, that happened to me also when a guy lived next door to me, he made himself like his biggest friend. And when I was building my sukkah, it was a Sunday, he went and reported to the police that I was doing it and they came to tell me that I couldn't build my sukkah. My friend who lived next door to me. <clears throat> so you never know. So today the anti-Semites are coming out more vocally because Hashem is making it happen that you're not so embarrassed by saying I'm a hater. And then when Mashiach comes, we'll know who the real haters are, so we'll know how to deal with it. But the reason he put us in this world is because we are enlightened to the nations. And when you are on top of the mountain, when you are number one, or you are in that number one category, the world pays attention to you. They'll hate, they'll hate you, they'll love you, they'll respect you, they'll disrespect you, because you stand out. We as Jews stand out in history. But the standout can be for the positive side. God forbid, can be for the negative side.
1: Okay, let's go to a live question,
5: okay? Hi, Iran. Hi, first of all, thank you so much everyone for putting this together and, and thank you, Rabbi. Um, my name is Dr. Fana Fishman, and I'm a from anti-Semitism researcher at an organization called Stand With Us. Based on my research, anti-Semitic attitudes have not been this high since the 1960s. Jews are the group that is most uncomfortable on campus based on surveys of non-Jews. These non-Jews identified that only 27% of them like Jews. They have a likability towards Jews in comparison with, let's say, 45% towards Muslims, 50% towards evangelicals, etc., the NYPD has reported 125% increase in incidents towards Jews since last year alone. So given that anti-Semitism has significantly risen, what are some things that you think, Rav, that we can do to spread education and awareness in general towards from Jews, towards other Jews and non-Jews in, in general as Eden, and particularly for me in this position as a researcher? Thank you.
2: I think if you take a look and have an honest evaluation of what's going on, most of the college students that are having a problem with Judaism and many of them who are going towards the other side do not really have an understanding of what Judaism is about. They've never experienced a real Judaism. They've experienced having to study for the bar mitzvah for a couple of years and waiting to finish so they can get out. They're waiting when they could quit their uh, Talmud Torah studies or live what they would call a, a life outside of the religious confines. Most Jews today, unfortunately in the college environment, don't know what it is to be a Jew. They know that they are a Jew, but they have no idea of the richness of Jewishness. They've not, they haven't taught it. It starts in the educational system. We are losing our kids because they don't know what it is to be a Jew. Forget about the fact that they're having anti-Semitism in colleges. Take a look at the assimilation rate in colleges. Talk about 80% or 75%. It's crazy. We're losing our Jews to Jews, not losing our Jews to the anti-Semites. And because we're losing our Jews to Jews, the anti-Semites have a hold on us. Because those Jews that are afraid and they're not living Jewishly, they're so easily easily overwhelmed by the fear because that's all they have. They don't have any of the beauty of Judaism. They only have the fear of Judaism, the negativity of Judaism. So it's really, we have to rethink our whole process of how we're educating the next generation. We think that the savior of the Jewish people is the college campus. It's wrong. The college campus is a destructive environment. We have, you take a look today, some of the most effective people that are, that are successful people you go to college to get what you have to do just get the lifestyle of college is a sick environment it's an environment that breeds immorality all kinds of negative behavior of behavior that is godless and that has no sense of decency and and a straight way of life so you see all the crazy stuff that goes on in the college environment because there are no limits there is no form in which you say there are red lines that you can't go beyond it it's our whole educational system that needs to reconstruct and we are losing our children because we're not feeding them the beauty of our faith we're not feeding them what god has given us we're feeding them a cultural system that they have to do because of some uh, genetic process or some internal feeling that we can't get rid of that we have to continue so we make sure we have a passover seder but the rest of the Pesach, you do whatever you want. You, they eat a whole. the rest of the Pesach, besides the Seder. That's what happens in more than 50% of Jewish homes in America. And those are the kids that are going to college. And you're asking them that they should stand up for their Jews. What do they should stand for? For what?
3: <clears throat>
2: Let me just tell you something about Israel. You'll know the same thing. I had a conversation with the council general of our community, a beautiful young man who really is an effective person. And when he first came down, we had a meeting and he asked me, what do you do about the college campus? There's so many Jewish kids are walking away from, from Jewishness, from Zionism, from Israel. They're pro-BDS, et cetera, as you know. And they're pro, pro all these radical movements. So I said to them, I had a conversation with a couple of these college kids, smart kids from one of these top schools. And I asked them the same question <clears throat> and they said to me, Rabbi, let me ask you a question. 1948, what Israel gave a land because the United Nations decided after the Holocaust, because the Jewish people lost 6 million Jews, that the whole world was a little bit guilty and they decided yeah, it's time for the Jewish people to have the land. Why did they take the Palestinians' land? Why did they take some other people's land? Why didn't they take a piece of Alaska? Why didn't they take a piece of British Columbia? Why didn't they take a piece of Nor- Norway? Why did they take a piece of the, uh, of, of uh, Palestine's land in 48, that's what they asked me. So I said, to, so the council general said, "So well, what'd you tell them? I said, I'll tell you what I told him." I said, it's not 1948, it's in the Torah. Oh, you mean Israel belongs to the Jews, not because there was a some kind of vote in the United Nations in 1948. Jews, Israel belongs to the Jews because God gave it to the Jewish people. <clears throat> And it belongs to us. It's only that we reestablished our ownership in 1948 because the world felt guilty. But in reality, it's been ours the whole time. So it is ours. I said to these kids. He said, "Really? Where does it say so?" I said, "In the Torah." Which Torah? Which Torah? You mean the Bible? I said, "Yes, in the Bible." He said, "Well, it says a lot of other things in the Bible." I said, "Like what?" He said, "Like it says in the Bible, you got to keep kosher." We don't keep kosher. It says in the Bible, you got to can't work on a sabbath we work on a sabbath it says in the bible all these other laws that they mentioned to me and we all do it out that sort of bible just he says so the guy says to me well it's uh, you know we don't do everything so he says so why'd you pick the israel part why don't you pick something else you pick just what's convenient for you our kids have to know that the torah is sacred we have to convey a whole different message of judaism we've lost track of how we should convey the way of a Jew and how we, the way a Jew should live. We think that we're going to make them happy by giving them some cultural relationship. Today, it's past that stage. They'll get that same culture in other places as well. An American culture, they like rock music better than they like our music. They like, and they, they're, they're a kid, these kids today are frying kids. They're living in the lap of luxury. You have to t- talk to them about Judaism in terms of its richness, in terms of its power in terms of its resilience, in terms of its strength, in terms of its uniqueness, in terms of the capacity to change the world that it gives us. And the proof of it is in so many ways, like the Nobel Prize winners of Jews were disproportionate more than any other people in the world, disproportionate. So when you take a look at that from that perspective, it's a whole different approach and we have to change our model. We have to change our whole thinking pattern. It's a mindset paradigm shift that we have to do in order to save the next generation for beautiful, serious, intelligent, brilliant young people that can continue to change the world in a positive way and serve as examples and be a light unto the nations. And really today, because of technology and because of all the capacity that we have today of communication, that we can really prepare the world for the coming of Mashiach. It's not just some kind of a story or some kind of a wish. It's a reality that is within our grasp, within our hands, within our capacity. Just like Israel is a startup nation, but it's a little country in the world. It's a Little country. You know, if, they, if a Martian came down from outer space and just uh, looked at the, what the world's like based on what he reads in the newspapers, he probably thinks the biggest countries in the world is the United States, China, Israel. And uh, maybe a couple of other places. And come down, Israel is like a, this tiny little place with all these startup companies that every single brilliant investor in the world wants a piece of this little country. Why do they want a piece of this country? This desert land? It's one thing that the Jewish people, they could never take away from us. They could take away our money. They could take away our land. They could take away our property. They could take away our cars. They could never take away our brains. That we always carried with us. Wherever we carried it, we impacted, we made a contribution, whether it's medicine or science or physics or business or economics or politics or diplomacy in every single field, we can make a difference. And therefore we have to take that difference and that power of Jewishness and bring it into Jewishness itself. So you start to realize what it is to be a Jew and what it is to be live like a Jew. You have to enjoy living like a Jew. And love every part of it and look at it from that perspective.
0: That, that brings us uh, to the next question somebody sent in. Rabbi, I want to ask a very straight question. Bottom line: it seems to be true that Jews do control a large portion of the media. So, what, what they're saying is actually true. Why are we screaming anti-semitism anti-Semitism if it's true? Why well, we screaming anti-Semitism term? Because <clears throat>
2: The fact of the matter is, we sometimes don't see the truth. The fact is that we do control a large part of the media. We do, it's true. And we do have a great influence in the economic system. We do, because of our participation. The reason that we sometimes want to shy away from it is because we are not proud of ourselves we do not take Jewish pride seriously and properly. And we sometimes follow the instinct of the rest of the world that makes us uncomfortable. For example, you know, when we have a Jew that unfortunately brings a bad name to the Jewish people like a Maidoff, or like uh, today, uh, this Bankman fried character with the crypto and so forth, and they start stressing the fact that they're Jews over and over again. So it causes us to be a, a little bit you know, stand back because they're now looking at, not made up as made up on the Jew, Jewish people, the Jew. We always are very sensitive to that. And that is absolutely true, that there is a certain sensitivity to that fact that we are constantly referred to in that manner. So we feel a little bit uncomfortable of being in that role. At the same time, you have to understand that the jew in charge of the media unfortunately does not always portray the jewish position so for example the new york times is probably the most anti-jewish newspaper there exists and it's run by jews so jews themselves it's not the jewish modality it's not the jewish way that's represented in the media it's Jews who have been lucky and intelligent enough to reach high levels that start controlling those environments. And then they speak out in ways that are contrary to the Jewish values. They're contrary to Jewish, the Jewish way of life, contrary to morality and, and ethics. And they follow along. For example, the new, the, the progressive woke movement is highly encouraged by the media, which is controlled to, some, to, to a great extent. Not controlled, but is very much influenced by Jews. I wouldn't say the word control, but influenced by Jews. So the fact is that it, it is true, and as a result of that, we have to take more responsibility. It's not something you can deny, and we shouldn't deny it because it's, it is true. And it is true that Jews have great influence in the economic system because of their mechanism. If you can take a look at how many times was the chairman of the, uh, of the of the commercial world in America a Jew or world bank people. I mean, this, this is the fact that Jewish people have been successful in, in the areas that did not require a person to have, you might say, real estate in that way, but utilizing their mind in various ways. You know, from the time, it's very interesting to give you a perspective. I had to, many years ago, I was the head of a school, and I brought in the chairman of the federation here, who was a very famous lawyer, brilliant lawyer. And I brought him in to listen to a class that was being taught in Gemara, it was happening to learn many. and uh, no, it was, uh, it's excuse me, it was a Maqqid. It was a Maqqid and uh, the kids were learning about, um learn about this whole question of being able to, can someone acquire something that's not yet somewhere acquires fruit of a tree that hasn't been grown yet or something to acquire the consequence of an event before the event takes place like buying the result of maybe catching the thief whatever so i'm talking to this, to this lawyer and he's talking about these kids you're talking about nine-year-old ten-year-old kids and they're learning about futures I mean, people don't even think about futures until they're in college and graduate school and already they're talking about futures <laughs> When we think about it, it's just my masculinovi But when you talk about it in terms of its global economic impact, it's massive. So the Jews have been used to a really uh, an extraordinary analytical capacity in finance and other fields that they've been able to translate into the practical world in a successful manner. And you can see that. there's so many highly successful businessmen in the banking industry and in the housing industries, the mortgage industries, the diamond industries in every industry in the development and building, Etc. Etc. And even in the professional fields, in terms of the universities and college professors in every field, whether it's law, whether it's physics, whether it's medicine, you find uh, the chairman of the Department of, of Medicine at the University of Miami, the chairman of the department. If you take a look at him, he looks like a chassid that on Shabbos. He has a beard and he wears a kapata and a, and a, a black hat, and he's the chairman of medicine uh, for the entire uh, 3,000 faculties of the University of Miami Medical School. So we understand there is a factor that with the concept of being a Jew and the capacity that God has given us to act as a Jew, we will take leadership level of the roles. You start with Yisrael Tzadik, and you take a look at Chumash, Avram was a leader of the world. Yitzchak, the king wanted to make, uh, king had to make a, a treaty with him, uh, Yaakov, and, you know he was given honor the world's honor all the kings of the world came, came to follow him with the top of the world Jews had leadership positions that were on an international level, international scale and Jews set standards and you take a look and even in the world of philosophy I don't want to get into that today but you know when you say you know that when you read the Greek philosophers Aristotle and Socrates and Plato so it says that Socrates, Plato was a, a student of Socrates, Was that Aristotle was a student of Plato of Socrates. Socrates was in Mitzrayim but at the same time, Yerim was in Mitzrayim. And he came to listen because it says Yerim Yoh was preaching to everybody about the Eberstedt and so forth. So it all comes from the Jews. It all comes from the Eden, with it's monotheism, with it's all philosophical systems of reality, all come from the in. Who, who knows? Where does it say, uh, you know, uh, that tape of the Yashbibba? that the world is a globe hanging in the middle of air. It says, Governor Melech already says that clearly, a globe in air, and at that time, there was no such thing, no one was thinking. The closest that was there was Atlas holding up the world with his shoulders. So from, uh, from that uh, perspective, there's no question that uh, we, the Jewish people, that we do have capacity. And because we have capacity, we utilize it. Unfortunately, sometimes in the wrong way. But we do have leadership level capacity, and that is our role. Our role is to be a leader. Our role is to be a light into the nations. Our role is to be to have that capacity of creating the the, the attitude and the and the paradigm shift or the paradigm the, the paradigm example of what we want the world to look like.
1: I just want to talk about, I know we spoke before to share a little bit about the, you know, the people that you met, you know, that we're talking about, you know, the tells anti-Semitism. <laughs> I just want to really explain what does it mean to be the chosen people? What does that mean for, for me? Can you explain in detail what that means?
2: You mean, control the world?
1: No, it says in the Torah, right? The Everybody knows. It. What does it mean? What, is it, what does it mean? What does that mean?
2: It means that wherever you are, you're the balabos. Wherever you are, you're the center you become the center point of what goes on around you. it's not an ego position. It's not me, 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 me. It means that the message that you are there for a reason, you have a mission wherever you are. That mission is to bring another level of godliness, holiness, purity, goodness, benefit to that space. Every single place you are, every single person you meet with, you have to be able to share some thought that makes that meeting a meaningful meeting. I've seen it all the time it continues to, to work in incredible ways and you never know what the results will be. Constantly I know here I to give you a little bit of an example of leadership in that way and again you know it's hard to talk about things that you experience yourself without really uh, addressing the fact of what happened in and not meaning to in any way indicate uniqueness of you know being special or anything like that this is being a regular person which i'm talking to you now about you know we had a big big tragedy here in our community an international tragedy that had to take place less than a half a mile from where i'm sitting right now if i go out on the porch here i can see the exact spot see the exact building which was the collapse of the surfside towers which is a traumatic experience that left a scar in this community that is still not healed. And pain and anguish that continues to unfortunately, you know, show up at most uh, undetermined times. People just break down just remembering and being participatory of it or having a member of the family in it. There was a time when the entire community was in shock. The entire community was really in shock. It was in such shock that it sent shockwaves through the entire world. The entire world was in shock. I, mean, I think there was more publicity about this event than I've ever seen about any single small event of, of one community. It had just took place because of the shocking reality of an unbelievable fact that a person goes to sleep in a beautiful high level building with a doorman safely in their bed, the safest place that a person can be in their own apartment, in their own bed with great security on the beautiful ocean front, And all of a sudden, something happens that is totally out of nature that never could have been forethought. So the community was a real shock. And as a result, it required a real response. And the fact that the response was completely Torah oriented which fundamentally meant, number one, kindness, empathy, caring for each person individually. Number two, recognizing Hashem's presence constantly and continuously during that entire period of time. Instead of rejecting Hashem because of the tragedy that took place with questions, where and so forth, it was an acceptance of Hashem. Instead of complaining and think talking about things that we could not do about the response was let's do whatever we can. Supply people with ever what they have ever they need, whether it's the rescue teams, whether it's the families, whether it's the friends, make sure that everybody at least has whatever they need at this moment that make can make them feel a little bit better. That attitude of chesed, of kindness that was totally selfless, where people gave up their homes, they gave up their apartments. They gave up their work. They gave up their days and nights to be with these people under every circumstances for a month at a time, for an entire month. The, the whole community was in a paralytic state. We would, everything went on hold. All aspects went on hold. All conditions went on hold. We had, we're in the middle of a building project. The building project went on hold and the entire room that was about to be built turned into a storehouse. Everything stopped only because of the deep care that we have for another human being which is a fundamental aspect of the data <speaking in Hebrew> the great rule of the torah to live jewishly properly in its practical ways not necessarily on yom kippur or not necessarily on the moment of high connection or a moment when you really want to uh, feel some connection but on a daily basis every single morning waking up and knowing that hashem is with you every single morning waking up and thanking hashem and utilizing hashem's blessing to make the world around you a better place works it doesn't work in that way and in fact it works not only in the immediate community, but it works in the general community as well people start respecting it leadership starts respecting it i know as i mentioned to you when we're talking uh Governor DeSantis was at our in our shul in our community multiple times during that period of time. He was here many many times. I spent time with the families. I spent time with each person and recognized the impact of what it was about. Similarly, with other people, whether it was President Biden or senators that were here, Senator Scott or congressmen, people that came around they felt a sense of caring, a sense of participation, a sense of family. It was not just coming to a project, coming to a tragedy. It was coming to an environment that was such warmth. The entire area here, the entire atmosphere was one big blanket that brought warmth. You know, when a person's cold and freezing, you can't help them because if they have fever. But if you give them a blanket, at least it helps them a little bit. It gives them a little consolation. We could not take away the pain that existed, but we could bring them a blanket. The entire community became a blanket. The entire environment became a blanket of holiness, of goodness, of kindness, of generosity, of sharing. And it was imbued with a spirituality where people went out each day to make sure that the people that were waiting, the families that they put on filling every day, make sure that on Shabbat they had Shabbos meals, make sure that there was glut kosher food for every single person that was here, make sure that they were able to have their spiritual connection on the ways that would give them some solace that works in every single manner. And so in my own practical environment, just being a Jew and living like a Jew on a daily basis, each moment recognizing that I am on a mission. I am a representative. I represent, you know, same one that you represent God, we represent Hashem. We are God's representative on this physical planet. If you want to point to say, how do I see God in this world? Look at, a Jew. Look at a Jew. You see a Jew, you'll see God because when they kill a Jew, they hate God. And they hate a Jew because they hate God. And they want to get rid of a Jew because a Jew sets God's standards. And God's standards are what they don't want. In our world, God's standards are exactly the opposite of our social standards here. And it's the Jew that represents that. It's the Jew that is that advocate for Almighty God. So if we feel that way and we act that way and we know it without a sense of ego, a sense of pride, yes, but not ego. Don't create some kind of an image that you want to be looked at like. Know that you are given the capacity to be a holy person, you know that you can change the world different than anybody else. There's nobody in this world like you, do you know that? Nobody in this world like you. Now, I think I, think I mentioned to you, can you imagine if you said to somebody, I have an object, there was only one like it in the whole world, there was never one like it, there'd never be one like it. It's gonna be in the museum on Monday morning, that one object, you can come see it. Everybody run to see it. You wanna see this only object, there's nobody like it in the world? You don't have to go to a museum. You know what you do if you want to see one object that's nothing like it in the world? Look in the mirror. It's you. It's me. There's nobody like us. You know how you know that? Because we each have different fingerprints, even different eye prints, different voice prints. There's nobody like us, there never, never will be anyone like us, never was anyone like us. There must be a reason that God put us into this world. Otherwise, why would he need us just to eat? Just to take from the world. He must have put us here to have a purpose in this world. The Jew has a purpose. We have to fulfill that purpose. And when we fulfill that purpose, the world becomes better, we become better, and we eliminate that which we don't like, which is anti-Semitism. Hate. The Ramam says, Mashiach comes, get rid of the hate. We can get it done.
0: So here's here's another question that might be part of what you're saying. If we are the chosen people and Hashem loves us, loves us so much, then why every generation there is persecution? I feel it's too hard to walk around and feel this hate on the streets. Why can't I just let go of all the outside Jewishness?
2: Well, first of all, you can't let go of the outside Jewishness and keep the inside. If you let go of the outside, it's gone. They're the outside of the mechanisms that keep it alive. That's the that's form. You know, there's a substance of substance. The form of Jewish continuity is doing mitzvahs. Without that, it will not happen. We have a mechanism that a, allows that powerful force to continue and to hang on to something. And the mitzvahs are that pattern. Without that, we will not have, we do not have psychologically you know, this is not something that's really a nice uh, thing that probably for a religious community. But I'll share the story because there's a leader of the another religious group, uh, decent people, but not Jews. They called the head of that program is the Dalai Lama, and so in the 1980s, he added, he called uh, it, maybe it was 19, the end of the 70s, but at the end of the 70s, early 80s. He called a meeting of rabbis. He wanted to speak to rabbis, and the question that he asked to them is, "How is it possible for a Jew who has lost the, funda- the fundamental social anthropological aspects of Jewish continuity? What are the social anthropological aspects? There are certain conditions that a person must have in order to continue a people, especially specifically a minority. You have to have a determined uh, geographic exclusive space, which is the country." You have to have a determined way of dress, a way of dress. You have to have a common language. You have to have a common culture. Those are, are very vital in terms of the continuity of the minority. Otherwise, a minority will assimilate into the majority. That's the, that's the fact of history. The Jew, for 2,000 years, did not have a geographic location. Language changed. Clothing changed. What was the cause? What brought about this factor of the Jewish continuity? You want to know. The answer is toida and mitzvahs. That's the only thing that are common through the thread of our historical journey, is toida and mitzvahs. So if you want to know what is the secret of this continuity, that's the secret. Without that, it won't happen. So you cannot drop the externalities. The externalities are mitzvahs They are the vital organs and the catalysts that cause this continuity to continue. Now, why it happens in every generation, because we're still not in Mashiach's times. We still live in a corrupt world. We still live in a world where we have not yet done what we have to do as Jews. We're getting there. And I say, which is obviously God can bring Mashiach today, right now, and we hope he does we wait for it and it, there's no reason that he shouldn't from anybody's point of view but the fact that he didn't tells us that it's not ready that's the reality that we know and in order to be ready we still have a lot of work to do as you and i know that we have a tremendous amount of work to do because for every single jew that we know is connected within the circle to any degree there's five at least five jews out there that are not connected And they're on the edge of the process. And as we know, that since the Holocaust, since 1946, for those who keep statistics, there was someone here from, uh, stand stand with us, this Dr. Fishman that we have to realize that since that time, we lost more than 6 million Jews through assimilation, more, and there was no alarm. Nobody made an alarm about, well, the statistics, He published statistics, these statistics, those statistics, Federation statistics, Pew statistics, but there's no alarm. It's like nobody's burning. Nobody's, the Holocaust is not taking place. Where there is a spiritual Holocaust it's taking place. So you realize that there's so much left to do, and we can't just leave the rest behind. In Mitzrayim, it says that 80% of the Jews remained in Mitzrayim. They were assimilated, they were finished, they left, they stayed there. Mashiach comes and says them to look to Echad, Echad Israel, not a single Jew will be left behind. And Mashiach is going to come and it's going to take each Jew by his hand and say, come brother, come sister, I'm taking you home and
1: bring you back. Okay, Rabbi, Rabbi let's ask one more question i then we going to go to closing, okay? Last question. More spiritual sense. We see day in, day out the news, the media getting worse and worse on antisemitism. It seems to be an open session. Kanye West, all the other celebrities, they're broadcasting all over national TV. What does Hashem want from us? What is the message in this? What should we take out as yidin from what's going on, the way we view it? Then we'll go to the
2: closing. What well, Hashem's message to us in the same way as unfortunately we got a message from Hitler in Mach Shimei, that he looked wanted to track down every single Jew. He sent the whole Navy to find one single Jew in an island somewhere because no Jew was being left behind in a negative way our mission is no jew will be left behind because jewishness is becoming coming into the open we're talking about jewishness it's time to talk about the pride of jewishness it's time to talk about living jewishly time to talk about jewish taking back your jewish names talking about living a way that you are who you are and we are jews and we are god's chosen and it's time to say that openly and clearly without fears because they know it anyways and we know it anyways and what are we trying to hide So we're going to hide about it and say, well, we're not going to admit who we are. We can't escape who we are. The guy already said that haters really know that that, that's the fact of truth. So the way that we respond to that is with Jewish pride, with Jewish alacrity, with Jewish power, with going out and being proud of who we are, being an example to the world of what it means to be a Jew in the business world, in the professional world, in in the academic world, In the social world, in every world, that's a Jew. They point to it. The Ubanim Shagadalti. Look at that guy though, he walks. That's the guy I want to be like. But in prison, the worst place of it is the worst anti-Semitism. The Jews that behave the most in the most Jewish ways, in the honest ways, when they know that they're not sneaking some food because it's better than the the kosher food, but they live like Jewishness and they are nice to their neighbors and they're propped to the neighbors. They make a Kiddush Hashem in those environments, and they bring obviously instead of Sinus Israel in that space, which is known for Sinus, for Sinus Israel. So I know it works.
1: Okay, let's go to closing, okay? First of all, I for coming on tonight, giving so much chizik, I mean, It was a beautiful, beautiful topic. It's, we have a lot of clarity. Again, tonight, Demetriah 127 no, Was a good gematria? An excellent gematria. Hey, again, everyone wants to join the Sheikha. WhatsApp me at 848 525 I can send you a flyer every Sunday. You can go to You can get the flyers via email and the recordings and make sure everything will be up tonight. Manachim, what time? 2:32 a.m. Go it, will be Machem sure put up. Um again every Thank Sunday you, night. The first uh every Sunday night at 9:30 p.m. This is we have different shoom, different topics next week, I'm not saying for sure, but uh, it probably is going to be Rabbi Kalish, but he didn't confirm with me. He's an extra. But if not, we have a uh, backup. So next week, please join us. It should be an unbelievable share, as always. And again, everything's recorded. If anybody has any questions, you know, at You can email coachmanachem at gmail.com. Tonight's share is share 127. And if you want to listen to it on the phone, it's 848-777-GROW. Rabbi Lipsky, do you have an email if anybody wants to ask you any questions or anything? Do you want to share? It's very simple. Rabbi Lipsker at the shul.org. Rabbi Lipsker the Shul. at the shul.org. If anybody has any questions, you want to ask him, email them, yeah. please feel free. Again, I wish to thank you to the Lakewood School. And
2: thank you very much. It was very nice.
1: We need the chizik. We
2: need the closing. I say thank you very much. It was nice to be with you. Nice to be with all these wonderful Jews. I hope in some way that there was some positive aspect to our discussion and that there's a practicality to it. And yes. of course, the end of the day is we want Mashiach now. Ad
1: must...
0: You want to say anything, Menachem? I want to tell Rabbi Lipsker and I think it's a very important topic that we discuss tonight. Well, first of all, what's going on in the world and we need to be mechazek be ourselves and that's very important. No matter where we are, even if we're in shul between all the yidin, remember who we are, how we act and like we heard from Rabbi Lipsker, we are a piece of Hashem. They go and look at us, they see Hashem. We should feel That we are are Hashem. So when we walk around, we get up in the morning. Moedani is different. Your whole davening, whatever we do, it it changes our whole perspective of who we are. And I think that's one of the things that we need to uh, work on. So this is something that we need to hear again and again. And yes, the goyim are waking us up. So for giving us the time. (coughs) Have a very, have
2: a very good night. Thank you.
1: Next week, hopefully with Rabbi Kalish. Good night, everybody. Good night.